Hello, everyone. This is Mark from Sounder and Key, the producers of Ask Christopher West. We just want to let you know, for those who may be listening with young children, this episode contains conversations about the reality and beauty of the human body that may not be suitable for all ages. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Ask Christopher West podcast. I am sitting next to someone I would consider the most wonderful woman in the world. Wow, thanks. You're welcome. This is my wife, Wendy West. So happy to be here. Co-host, life partner, mother of my five children. Absolutely. (laughs) My number one helpmate, to use a biblical expression. You're my Ezra Konegdo. Oh, I know. <laughs> now I have to say in I some other episode. I, I think should we leave that for another let's time? Let's leave that. Yeah, that's okay, a we're going to leave you hanging. Yeah, Ezra Konegdo. We'll get Ezra to that. Ezra Konegdo. We'll get to that one. Not on this podcast, though, so you'll have to listen Stay again. Stay tuned for a future episode, okay. Ezra Konegdo. But today, today, we had a very funny Yeah, we just had to share this one with happened. you. This happened a few days ago. I dropped off my daughters at dance class. And dropped off our daughters at dance class. And I went to go get some gas. I'm typing in my zip code. I, you know, slide the credit card, typing in my zip code. And the woman who's waiting behind me to get gas says, hey, your car, your car. And I turn around over my left shoulder and my car is not there. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Am I having some weird dream that I came to get gas without a car? Uh, what's happening? I don't know what's going on. Then I looked over my right shoulder and I saw because I was on an incline and I had stupidly, mistakenly left the car in neutral. Oh no. The car was drifting out into the middle of a busy street. Oh my goodness. It's only funny because nobody got nobody hurt. Nobody got hurt. I didn't T-bone anybody, but oh. my our dog was in the car. <laughs> oh and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Mandy's going for a little solo ride here. <laughs> so I run out into the street. I had to open the door, jump in the car. Traffic's swerving all around me. Oh, no. And, yeah, it could have been bad. But the really funny part is later that night, like a few hours later, I get this text from a friend of ours <laughs> who also has daughters in the same dance class. This is what I get. Hey, Christopher. This is Jessica. Just wondering if you had a nice, quiet, uneventful evening because... Up until about 6.15, I did. It was one of those sleepy, small-town evenings, not much different from any other time I had dropped the girls off at dance. All up until I felt like I was transported into the Dukes of Hazard, and the bad guys pulled right out in front of me just before the stoplight. I had to swerve around. Oh, no. (laughs) And take some evasive action to avoid getting T-boned. But it all turned out okay. So <laughs> it was a friend of ours. Oh my word! Who, who had to avoid getting hit it by just our drifting to be vehicle? There right just, at that just crazy to be moment. Down at that oh. crazy moment. Thank you, God, for sparing yes our vehicle and anybody else's vehicle and everybody else's health. Oh my goodness! And well-being. Yes. Close call. Yeah, that is amazing. I'm so glad everyone is fine and we can laugh about it. So I have a bunch of great questions for okay. you. Okay. Let's do it. This is called Ask Christopher West, and 
you're sending in the questions and I'm asking them and here we go. I'm trying to answer, but the real answers usually come from my wife. Hey, now. We're or working the, together. the best part, I would say. Oh, no. Not true. But anyway, let's go right ahead right, with Gabriel's question. Gabriel. Gabriel, you, Gabriel asks, or actually says, hello. Hello, Gabriel. I'm a Catholic artist and student, painter and sculptor, struggling with how to glorify God with my work in the context of the contemporary art world, which mm. seems to me to be ridden with ugliness. Mm. How can Catholic artists today stay relevant and not copy the past, but draw on the past and effect change now? And then a second part of the question is... Well, well that's, that's too much uh, for that's me to That's too much. Okay, let's stay there. Let's stay that's right good. there. So okay. read, just read that first half again. Yes. Yeah, so his, you don't have to he, the, yes. the question part. How yeah. can Catholic artists today stay relevant and not copy the past, but draw on the past and affect change now? Bless you, brother. Gabriel. And your name is significant here, right? So Gabriel, the archangel, comes to announce the most beautiful work of art, shall we say, uh, God's the ultimate artist, and his masterpiece is the incarnation in the womb of Mary. So dare I say, Gabriel, based on your name, you may well be called as an artist to bring about, through your own works, the mystery of incarnation. That's what art is. I urge you, beg you, if you don't know about it already, read John Paul II's letter to artists. It is glorious. Read Pope Benedict XVI's Address to Artists. Read Pope Francis's Address to Artists. Uh, read chapter 7 of my book, At the Heart of the Gospel, which is called The New Evangelization and the Way of Beauty. That chapter unfolds the role of art in the new evangelization and what art really is. Art is an expression of the heart. And I'm, I'm going to also invite you, Gabriel, this summer, uh, the third week of July, I don't have the exact dates, but we'll put it in the show notes, uh, my dear friend and colleague, Bill Dunahy, who is also not only trained as a theologian, but trained in the arts, he's teaching a five-day course here in Pennsylvania through the Theology of the Body Institute called Theology of the Body and Art. Mm. And the subtitle Again, we use that expression, the way of beauty. Uh, if, if these resources are not already very familiar to you, please jump in and you will be so enriched. I'd also point you to the work of David Clayton. He is the provost at Pontifex University, and they have an entire master's de degree program dedicated to the renewal of art through good theology leading to good Art. So those are just some resources. Uh, just a couple suggestions. I, I can't go into great detail because we got to move on to some other questions. But I'd say this, Gabriel, art is the expression of the heart. And the truly great artists are the ones who are willing to go on the journey, the interior journey of purifying the heart. If the goal of, of real art, as John Paul II says, is to make visible the invisible, then we become ever greater artists the more our hearts are purified because, as Jesus says, blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see the invisible. They shall see God. God is invisible, and yet the mystery of our faith is the invisible has been made visible 
through the incarnation, through the womb of Mary, as we enter ever more deeply into that mystery of Christ himself and let it purify our hearts, then what we express from our hearts become ever more shining examples of Christ, of incarnation, of making visible the invisible. So commit yourself, Gabriel, to the interior journey, and your art will bear its fruit, I assure you. Hmm. I think that's excellent. I think, Gabriel, I know that you also said, and I, I didn't read this part of the question, but I'll just share it now. He says that he is in fine arts college right now. Hmm. So I just wanted to say something to that, that you're around many other artists and many who maybe are in touch with suffering humanity and maybe not not in the same way as you have been blessed with faith, able to see God's hand in the story of all humanity, and so can enter into the, the sufferings of humanity without that hope that comes through faith. So I see that as an opportunity really to pray for the hearts of other artists as you're seeing them and their art that they're doing, you know, that you can lift up that, those hearts to encounter Christ and encounter the hope um, that is so powerful. In that context, you know, looking at sacred art, secular art, and that Gabriel is, is I, I assume, is it a secular art school based on yeah, some it of seems the questions? Like it, yeah. I assume it would be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is important for all the listeners to hear that Being a Christian artist does not mean you have to be working on explicitly religious art. Uh, John Paul II says in his letter to artists that even secular art, even folk art, can become a, a kind of bridge to faith, a bridge to the religious realm. And that's that's based on the on the mystery that everything belongs to God. So whether you're painting a picture of Christ or the saints, uh, or you're painting a bowl of fruit. You might be sculpting a tree. You might be sculpting something that one could say is entirely secular. But even there, guess what? Who made that tree? Uh, you know, there, there is a distinction to be made between the sacred and the secular, but I think we often go too far there. There is a bridge between the sacred and the secular, and that bridge is the incarnation. The sacred, the most sacred of all, God entered into this world, the seculum, the, the, the secular world. He came into it to, in a very real sense to make everything sacred. So Christian art, does uh, is put it this way, Christian artists do not necessarily have to do specifically Christian art to be a witness to Christ. That's my point. So Gabriel, what do you love? What do you love to paint? What do you love to sculpt? What is your particular gift? Do that well, do it from the depths of your heart, and you will be a witness to the God who made it all. Okay, next question. This is uh, an anonymous question. It says, I was listening to Beyond the Talk. Uh, Yeah, this is a, a series, a CD series I did for parents. Right. Right. And, it, and she references a specific story there uh, about a mother telling her little girl in the bathtub not to touch herself yes. because it's dirty. And that was an example, I think, given where that was could be a, a not helpful a thing. A very unhelpful thing to say. I was telling that, uh, I used it, yeah, I used that as an example of what not to say. Okay. So then the question she says is, what do we say to our children when they're touching themselves? Instead of saying, don't touch yourselves, that's dirty, you should say, don't touch yourselves there, that's bad. 
<laughs> no. uh, joke, 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 joke. So we've, every parent has to deal with this, right? We've had to deal with this with oh, our sure. kids. Uh, very normal for kids to be curious about the way God made their bodies. So first of all, there should be an affirmation that it's normal and natural to be curious about the way God made our bodies. But as parents, we also have a responsibility to, I would say, encourage that curiosity, direct that curiosity in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. Because if that curiosity is misdirected, it can become... You know, it could become a habit of masturbation. It could become all kinds of distorted things. How do the, so? The I would say, what is the real qu underlying question is how do we encourage that curiosity in a way that is mm -hmm. healthy, in a way that leads to uh, an appropriate wonder about the goodness and beauty and dignity and mm -hmm. meaning of our bodies. So, we have lots of stories from the way we've tried to raise our kids. This. One come to mind for you, Wendy? Well, I certainly remember many times, and, and our children are actually out now all an age where that we're not bathing them anymore. So, you know, it's an yeah, earlier stage of parenthood. they're just dirty all the time. They're like <laughs> Wait, they don't need smelly. to be bathed. Yeah. We just gave up on that. <laughs> just kidding. Our youngest is 10 and a half, and she showers herself. Um, but, you know, yes, definitely. It's a not uncommon conversation for parents to have. And I think, you know, commonly would say things like, you know, isn't that awesome the way God made you to be a boy or the way God made you to be a girl? And then also, you know, just remember that's not a toy. Just treat your body with honor. Mm -hmm. So I think those are phrases I definitely remember using frequently yes. with our children. Yes. When we, the, our goal as parents, not that we've done it all right. We've, <laughs> we, uh, we, it was really, we were just kind of experimenting. We are trying out things. We are just we wanted it to be positive, though. Right. We always wanted it to be not something, sh you know, shameful or scary or uncomfortable mm -hmm. to talk about. But I would say things like, uh, "Hey, bud, did, if I'd see him fiddling with his penis in the bathtub, do you do you know that's one of the most amazing parts of your body? Your whole body's amazing the way God made it, but that part of your body is especially amazing. It's especially beautiful. It's especially holy." Always using very positive language and saying things, as you said, Wendy, that it's it's not a toy. Your penis isn't a toy, something mm -hmm. you play with. But your your penis needs to be honored because as you get to be a man, uh, you're going to learn that God's given you a special power in your body and through your penis one day to become, if that's your calling, to become a father. Uh, and we would, we would always try to say, uh, encourage our kids, boys and girls, to honor their bodies. Uh, that, I think, is the key. Talking about the beauty, the splendor, the goodness of the body, rather than, don't do that! Or that, oh, that's bad! No, no, that's, no, don't do it! We can have those kind of knee-jerk reactions sometimes, and that's all understandable, but they leave an impression. I, I can remember a specific thing, with a, a thing that comes up sometimes when you're changing a toddler's diaper. Sometimes there's a mess there, and they're reaching down, and it's you really don't want them to touch the mess that you're cleaning up. And I can remember just saying, just grabbing the hand and saying, let me just clean you first. Like, they're way too young to even have this right, conversation. Right, right. But rather than saying dirty, which is an instinct when you don't want a child to touch something, I just hold their hand and say, let me clean you so that they're not associating that 
the whole reaching or touching themselves is dirty, but just that we're in a situation right now where I do need to clean your bottom for sanitary yeah. reasons, you know. So I don't know if that is a helpful memory I'm sharing there. I hope so. I would I would say to the parents out there that if if you find yourself at a loss for words or the words that typically come to you are words of kind of a scolding perspective or shaming perspective or you're just uncomfortable talking about it at all, we can't fake comfort with our bodies. And if we're not comfortable with our own bodies, that will be passed on to our children. That's just the way it goes. We, mm-hmm. we pass on our attitudes to our children. So we need to challenge ourselves here to open up maybe some painful memories. What were the early impressions that we had of our own bodies? Do we have memories of our own parents shaming or scolding us for fiddling with our genitals? Uh, were you maybe a, an early sprouter as a girl and you started developing breasts at an early age and kids in the neighborhood or kids at school were making fun of you or snapping your bra strap or what? All those things form an impression that we have about our bodies. And we've talked in this show several times already about the healing of memories, but those memories that we have from our own childhood eventually we need to bring them to the light. We need to let the Lord's healing touch mm-hmm. into those painful places in our lives so that we can get to a place of ease and comfort and peace with ourselves. And that's much more important than anything we say because, again, our attitudes about our own bodies, they get passed on to our children for good or for ill. Mm-hmm. I hope that's some food for thought for you. I, I think for the sake of time, we'll... We'll move along, but we can uh, have in the show notes, if anybody's interested in those talks, uh, two parents called Beyond the Talk, Sharing God's Plan for Sexuality with Your Children. Uh, There are a lot of practical tips in there, and we'll Mm -hmm. have that in the show notes. Yes. I have a question here from a listener named Amy who says, My husband and I recently had one of our kids go to Seek 2019. And my husband mentioned that it seems that so much of the message of our church is aimed at the younger generations. Are there programs for us older folks who aren't 19 to help us continue to grow in our faith? No, (laughs) I don't think, no, too bad. Maybe somebody should start something, I don't know. (laughs) It is kind of a good question. And maybe our, our, Amy, our listener, isn't you know, so familiar with a lot of things yeah, that forgive we, we're my, blessed. My, my, my silly response there, Amy. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, uh, make fun of, of you. I, it was actually my stupid sarcasm coming out about there are some excellent, excellent things out there uh, that can bring really helpful, positive adult formation. We can leave, you know, these things in the show notes, but here are some things that come to my mind. Ascension Press has a host of wonderful resources uh, online programs. See, most of most of the education these days is going online. I think you can still get DVDs here and there, but most of it's online. So check out Ascension Press. Uh, check out uh, Augustine Institute, their program program called Formed. Um, check out the work of uh, a place called maybe you've heard of it, the Theology of the Body Institute, which offers uh, all kinds of. Uh, ongoing formation, online and live courses. Though there's three resources that come word to my on mind. Fire. Oh, word on fire. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How did I forget that? Bishop Barron is doing such great stuff. I tap into Bishop Barron 
all the time uh, mm-hmm. for my own edification and growth. Right. I think he's one of the greatest teachers in the Catholic Church right now, mm-hmm. Bishop Barron. He's doing great, great work, and his ministry is called Word on Fire. I'm so glad you reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. So here, here would be my top list would be Word on Fire, Ascension Press, Augustine Institute, and their form program, and uh, if I may say so, the work that the Theology of the Body Institute is doing. I'd throw that in. Oh, please do say so. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just say this, you know, SEEK 2019, for those who don't know, is a conference that um, the kids attended, so... From Focus, yeah. Yes. Fellowship of Catholic University Students. There are conferences that are beautiful experiences geared toward adults, and I think if we could just mention head and heart immersion courses that we, that Theology of the Body Institute offers as a an opportunity to learn and to be together with other people in your age group mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and all range of ages actually come to those courses. But I think there are typically anywhere from, say, 60 to 120 students at a course and beautiful relationships are formed. Yeah. You're just sharing your faith journey and others' faith journey. It's very edifying and strengthening for people who aren't in the 19-year-old age group. So I really encourage you to consider that. Well, check out the links we'll have in the show notes, and uh, we'll put the trailer well, trailer for the Theology of the Body Head and Heart Immersion course. We'll put that in there, too. You can check that out. Thanks for that question, Amy. Uh, this is an anonymous question from a person who is engaged. He or she says, I'm currently engaged to be married, and my fiancé and I have discussed this topic out of a desire to one day begin our sexual relationship, not with a fear of lust, but with total freedom to love. Bless you, anonymous person. The fact that you can even articulate all of that I know. is a sign that you've been on a journey. Bless well, you. Get ready, because okay. this question is, is well-worded. Okay, um, here we go. Is it possible for sin to be involved during sexual intercourse if the following criteria are met and four are listed? Number one, the couple is legitimately married. Number two, neither feels coerced or pressured. Number three, they're open to life. Number four, each is considerate to the other and not simply trying to gratify themselves. So those four questions, those four criteria, um, I think this questioner is saying, is that what we need to know in order to not be sinning in our sexual relationship once we're married? So here, here may be a concept that is new. It's not new to this questioner, but it may be new to some of the listeners out there that simply getting married is not some ticket to anything goes in, in your sexual relationship. Mm. John Paul II, in the early 80s, when he was delivering his Theology of the Body addresses he was commenting on the, the line from the Sermon on the Mount, if a man even looks lustfully at a woman, he's already committed adultery in his heart. And he said, it's very important that Jesus does not say if a man looks at a woman who's not his wife, but if a man looks at a woman lustfully. Marriage, in other words, does not make it okay to indulge in your lustful desires. And let's define our terms. Lust is the disordering of sexual desire away from the truth of love and in the direction of using others for our own selfish pleasure. And here we have to recognize in in John Paul's language, and I think he's spot on, and we can all feel it in our hearts. The opposite of love here is not hatred per se, 
The opposite of love is to be treated as a means to someone else's end. If we are treating our spouses in the sexual relationship as just a means to my own fill-in-the-blank gratification, or it could, it could be something as if a, if a wife is just treating her husband as a sperm bank so she can get pregnant, mm-hmm. uh, this is not in keeping with the dignity of the person. It's not doesn't flow from love. So marriage is not a license to indulge our lust. Marriage is an invitation to learn what it really means to love. And I think this anonymous questioner laid out some some very clear markers that do determine whether or not what's going on is love. Mm-hmm. Is it an exhaustive list? No, but it's a very great starting place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to read those again, Wendy? Those Absolutely. I think she's really insightful here. Okay. Number or he, whoever wrote it. Yes. Uh, number one, the couple's legitimately married. Right. So sexual union is meant to be a renewal of wedding vows because we're meant to love divinely. And divine love is not a one-night stand. Divine love is a, I will never leave you, never forsake you. That's the commitment we're making in marriage. Sexual union is only really an expression of divine love, of authentic love, when it expresses a love that lasts forever, when it, when it expresses a, a love that says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. So that's, Num- yep. That was number one. one. Number one. Number two, neither feel, neither, meaning neither spouse, feels coerced or pressured to have sex. Right. So manipulating a spouse into sex would come from a place of not knowing the real dignity of the person. For love to be love, it has to be free. It has to be freely given. And manipulation is a violation of that freedom. And so it's a violation of love. Number three, they're open to life. Open to life. So again, if for love to be love, it has to image divine love. And God reveals himself as father. He reveals himself as life-giving love. When we try to X out our fertility from the sexual equation, what we're really saying is, ah, the demands of love are too hard, Uh, but I like the pleasure, I like the way this feels, I'll just X out the fertility. That is not a true image of divine love. So she's absolutely right there. And I just wonder if it might help some listeners to explain that just a little bit more in that I think open to life can sound different ways to different people. And I've, I've encountered that phrase being used to mean different things. Yeah. yeah, It's not, it's not a great expression because it can be so misunderstood. Mm -hmm. What, what the church is saying is we must not do anything to render our sexual acts sterile. In other words, when we take into our own hands, whether or not this act could result in a new life. When we render it sterile, we are saying, whether we realize it or not, we're saying, I don't like the way God made sex. I don't like the fact that if we had sex tonight, you could get pregnant. If you're in a position where you shouldn't be getting pregnant, well, then the church says, well, don't have sex. Don't do the thing that brings pregnancy about. There's a real great analogy here with with bulimia uh, that we can all recognize if you have a desire not to gain weight, then you should eat properly. Uh, you, you know, want to avoid fatty foods. But to say, no, I'm re- I love that cheesecake. I don't want to gain the weight. Oh, well, I'll eat the cheesecake and then I'll, I'll vomit. I'll induce vomiting so I don't gain the weight. There's a, a contracepted sex. Sex that we render sterile is kind of like bulimic sex. It's, it's saying, I want the pleasure, but I 
don't really like the fact that God made sex to lead to babies. It's a very different attitude when we say, I love the fact that sex leads to babies, but we're in a place not to have a baby now, so we're going to refrain from sex. That's the difference between contraception and natural family planning. And if, if you are, you might want to listen to some previous podcast episodes. We'll, we'll leave in the show notes uh, the episode numbers where we've talked more in detail about this. And we'll also leave in the show notes um, a resource, Good News About Sex and Marriage, where I unfold this at in great mm-hmm. detail if you want to learn more. Yes. Sorry, we can't say too much right yes, now. No, I know our... your answers in, in that book in particular really yeah. get at uh, what does openness to life mean. So yeah. thanks for bringing that up. Sure. The last was number four. Um, each is considerate toward the others, mounting pleasure and not simply trying to gratify themselves at the expense of the other. Yeah. This person sounds like he or she is versed in John Paul's teaching that he speaks specifically of the husband to learn how to contain his own climax to bring his wife to climax with him is an act of virtue and consideration for one's spouse. So we, sh- we have to have that consideration where we're not just in it for ourselves. So she outlines beautifully some, some excellent points that demonstrate or, or, or really point us in the direction of what marital intimacy is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. So is sin still possible if you're meeting all those criteria? Well, Sin comes from the heart, not so much from a checklist where we mm-hmm. say, oh, well, I did that, and I did that, and I did that, so mm-hmm. that was, there's no problem. The problem is always in our hearts, and we, in a recent episode, we were talking about the wheat and the weeds mm-hmm. grows together in all of us. Nobody can claim they love 100% perfectly. Right. Nobody can claim there's not even a hint or shred of a mixed motive within me. Mm-hmm. So when we recognize those mixed motives... We put him in the light. We put him in the light with the Lord, and when it's appropriate, we put him in the light with one another as spouses. Maybe it would be encouraging to you to think of it as in your your marriage, you will certainly have times and opportunities to show mercy to one another. Mm-hmm. And this aspect of your marriage, your marital union, you will have opportunities to show mercy to one another, to show mercy to yourself for not being... Perfect first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The church is not saying be perfect and then make love. No. We need mercy in the midst of our lovemaking because we're not perfect. Uh, and that, I always say, the number one ingredient of a successful relationship is mercy. 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 We really enjoy doing this show for you guys. And we've been getting some great feedback in the comments section that you guys are also really enjoying this show, which just makes us want to do this show all the more. And uh, we wanted to read some of the fun comments we've been getting in and encourage you, if you would be willing, to leave a comment for our show. That would be awesome because it helps the show get out and recognized by people on iTunes and other places where people listen to shows. So if you'd like to share this podcast with other people and help us get the word out, if you could leave a review for us, we would be so grateful. So here's, here's some fun ones. This is from uh, a priest named Father Paul. He says, it's always a treat to hear Christopher West, but this time dessert comes with extra ice cream. Wendy West is a natural on this show. I couldn't agree more. You'd never think this is the first time in a long time that she's doing public ministry for the Lord. The two of them together complement each other very well as they answer great and important questions about God, humanity, sex, and relationships. 
Thank you, Father Paul, for leaving that comment. It's a big help to us to get the word out. How about this one, Wendy, from Peas In? From Peas In, I'll read ah, that one. Okay, uh, I'm hooked. Something drew me to the email introducing this podcast. Decided to listen right then. It is exactly what I needed. I'm in. Praise God and thank you for sending me this wisdom and support through Christopher West's ministry. I studied Theology of the Body years ago, but am ready to apply it in my 25-year marriage that has wounds needing to be addressed and healed. Let's do this. Well, we're, we're pushing that 25-year mark as yeah, well. Yeah, we're almost there. Almost there, and uh, we can relate. Um, yeah, we all need healing. There's no shame in that. No shame in that. God bless you. This is from Karen. She says, I've heard Christopher West speak several times and have read all his books. Well, that's impressive. I attended the Theology of the Body 1 Head and Heart Immersion course, and still I crave more. You, you got the bug, Karen. You've been bitten. That's mm -hmm. the, <laughs> when you start dipping in, you want more and more. I briefly met Wendy last year at the course, and ever since I wanted her perspective as a wife and mother on how to bring these beautiful teachings to my family. Well, now I'm getting some of that perspective in this podcast. So much to learn, so much to talk about. The Wests are, are great together in the show, complimentary ideas, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you, thank you, Karen, for leaving that review. They really, really do help us to get the word out about the show. So if, mm -hmm. if you listen on iTunes, uh, either on your phone or on your computer, you can go there right now and leave a review. That would really help us out. If you're not listening there, uh, you can just go to our show notes and you'll see a link as to how you can leave a review. As John Paul II says, you are a gift. Become what you are. Thanks for listening, guys. We love yes, you. Yes, thank you. Take care. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope that the advice shared on this show is helpful to you, but ask you to remember that they are not licensed counselors. If you're facing serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted psychologists and counselors in the show notes. Instead of saying, don't touch yourselves, that's dirty, you should say, Ezra Konegdo. Oh, I know.